on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We bring you the latest OU football news. Then our buddy Cole Kublik joins us to preview the conference championship weekend. And we finish up with our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those. You'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, November 30th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of December, yeah, December is right around the corner, people. It's basically here. All you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment while you're at it. And Ted, it is a very important three-week stretch for Oklahoma football. Woo, woo boy, crucial period right here. Yeah, it's wild. Um, we We got a lot of action going on. Um, you got transfer portal stuff that's starting to crack. You've got the recruiting early signing period is you feel like it's so far away forever. And then all of a sudden, bam, you got to lock it all in and see if you can grab a couple more guys and lock in the guys that you, you do have committed and, and obviously bowl practice and stuff like that. Get some young guys, um, you know, some, some opportunities and practice a little more reps. There's, there's going to be a lot going on. Yeah. But it, it sounds just from, from some of the things that Brent Venables has said, like, yes, the bowl practices are important, right? You want you want to get those extra reps for your young players. You want even the veteran guys that are going to be back next season. You want them to continue to understand more and more about the system. But it really seems like that man and this staff are laser focused on the recruiting aspect of things. Yeah. Yeah, they've, they've got to bolster the roster for sure. Um, recruiting is going to be incredible. This 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 first class is uh, there's a good chance to really uh, lock in some future big time players. And here's the thing, man. I I'll say this now, and I'll probably say it a hundred times before the start of next season. I expect there to be some good players out of this class. 
but do not expect any of these guys to play next year. Some might. One or two may play, but do not expect that. And I don't know that necessarily you want it, right? But you just want to keep adding new talent, getting those guys acclimated to your system, and get the conveyor belt rolling. But if you sign a big class, I know everyone right away is going to be talking about these kids and how much it's going to help next season. Probably not going to help next season at all. So just you are now. you are the ultimate. Hey, give these freshmen some time, guy. I know. I I, could, I feel like that's going to be happens. on your headstone. Like, hey, give the freshmen some time. Relax. It, it, the same thing happens year after year, though. You know, it's like a bunch of new freshmen come in. Everyone expects them to be all Americans right out of the gate, and it just doesn't happen like that. Yeah. So patience, people. I that's and right. I know that after a six and six season, OU fans are very very patient right now. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've got that okay. in bunches. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to kind of the, you know, latest OU football news. Let's start here, Ted. And this is a guy you really liked when when he came to Oklahoma, but Jordan Mukes announced he will be entering the transfer portal, which the portal officially opens on Monday. So you're going to see not, and it's not just going to be Oklahoma. You're going to see all kinds of guys from all kinds of schools putting their name in the transfer portal. But Mukes has put his name in. Uh, this is a guy that absolutely looks the part, right? Six one, like 210 pounds. But for whatever reason, Ted just could not find his way onto the field this season after playing a bunch of special team snaps last year. And I, I got no problem saying this. It's a bit of a bummer for me. He's a Choctaw kid. You know me. I'm always rooting for the Oklahoma guys to have success at OU because uh, I do think it just means a little more when you're from this state and, and you're one of the few guys that's, that gets the opportunity to play at OU. So I was, you know, I was disappointed seeing this, but guy just couldn't find his way on the field. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you never know like what the, what the reasoning is. And some guys, just want to change in venue and, and sometimes that's good for him, you know, to, to get a new opportunity somewhere, um, a new system, a new scheme, a new place, fresh start. Um, I understand that, but yeah, you're right. Big physical kid could run. Um, wish he would stick around a little bit longer and, and, and really go all in to try and earn a spot out there in the field and be a contributor because, you know, I, I don't I wouldn't say that anyone defensively has has played so consistent and so well that they've locked down any type of guaranteed starting job. I I think that everything's always going to be up for grabs and and he's he's a big physical player but I hate to see it you're going to have some attrition. I hope it, I hope he goes somewhere and just balls out. I uh, I hope the best for him. Yeah, me and you both but you know, we've We've talked a lot about the secondary getting bigger, longer, yep. more athletic. He's one of those type of guys, but you know, you never know. And maybe, maybe he'll kind of open up on why 
he he thought it was best to move on at some point. But yeah, you hate to see a guy with this physical profile, right? Yeah. And, and I know it's it, there. There's a lot more that goes into being a good football player than just having the measurables. But this guy certainly has the measurables. So yet you'll never know what you know. Uh, to what he could have been two years down the line uh, in Brent Venable's defense, which is kind of a bummer because seems like a guy that if he would have stayed around that maybe they could have found, you know, found, found a way to get him on the field. I, I don't know, but yeah, who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the one thing that you can say for sure. Uh, he's got the body type that we're looking for, right? I yeah. mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is, you know, we're looking for some length, some size, on the back end um, corner as well. I think that could go a long way for this defense. And, you know, he's one of those guys that you're waiting that was young. You're hoping it was getting some good development. And at some point was, was going to start rotating in and get some opportunity. Like figured like this spring would have been really big for him, but you know, attrition, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, not just at Oklahoma. It's going to happen at every school across the country. Yeah. Okay, this is this has gotten confusing. The Theo Weiss situation has gotten a bit confusing, right? There's a report out there that someone close to Theo Weiss said he was planning on entering the transfer portal. So Dusty and I interviewed him on the strength in the Oklahoma stuff yesterday. Said, "Hey, what's what, man? You go in the portal." Uh, he told us that he had not fully come to a conclusion. Yet said he's going to talk to his family. The coaches uh, said the main thing that will determine his decision is kind of his opportunities, his chance to produce on the field. Then there's like a, I think it was a Snapchat of him going around on social media saying that he just went through a breakup with the coaching staff. I don't, I, I choose to believe that that is not like photoshopped or anything like that. So he, there's no official decision yet, it sounds like, but it it does seem like things are trending in the direction of him moving on, but nothing official yet. It just, you know, when you ask a guy, hey, portal, and he's like, ah, I haven't made a decision yet. Usually that yeah. kind of tells you the story, but we'll see. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I It felt like, he had disappeared right um offensively and yeah. then had a really nice night against texas tech and you know was winning some of those nice 50 50 balls was you know pushing it we were pushing it downfield to him quite a bit um but there's you know he, he's had some mistakes and I'm, I'm sure that was that was frustrating for him and and stuff but i think he's a i think he's a good physical receiver um I was I the way he started this year. I thought he was going to have a much bigger year than he ended up having. Don't know what the what the issue was there, or you know why he kind of fell out of favor or or wasn't getting the opportunities for, to produce. But you know he's another guy. Right now, we are we're small and we're not incredibly fast at wide receiver, and he's one of our bigger guys and. I mean, in my opinion, that's one of the things that we, we have to do is we we have to get bigger and more physical at wide receiver and losing Theo Weiss at this moment makes us 
smaller at wide receiver overall. It brings our average down. So uh, if if he if he's gone, that's that's going to be a hit. I, we've got to add some size to our receiving core, in my opinion. It's just got to be done. Um, I'm with you now. I don't think this season went anywhere close to the way that he thought it was going to go for him. Right? You look at the numbers: 19 catches, 378 yards, four touchdowns. Like those are, and you got to remember, this is a five-star recruit, and I know he's battled injuries, but Jeff Levy comes in, you're probably expecting, hey, I'm going to catch a ton of balls, I'm going to rack up yards, maybe the decision will be, hey, do I go to the league or not? And I, I do want to give Theo some credit because I think from everything I've been able to see, right, uh, down there on the sideline, uh, talking to him for some of the NIL stuff, like he's handled it like a professional. I don't think he became a distraction or anything like that. I, I think that he maintained his role as being one of the veteran leaders on the team and encouraging some of the young guys, you know, like Farouk in that room. But yeah, man, at some point, you got to think about your football future. And while he, I, I, I just don't know how fast he is. If if he thinks that going somewhere else gives him a better opportunity to give him a better chance in the National Football League, then that's that's what you got to do. And that's what he said when Dusty and I talked to him. It was like, hey, you know, he was he said he didn't want to stress about it too much right now because he's focused on taking finals, which made me laugh. You you forget about that. But it, it also seemed like, hey, I need to go somewhere or maybe stay at Oklahoma. I, I I personally think he'll be in the portal, but it, it sounds like it's all about getting opportunities to show what he can do as a player. So well I guess I I guess I can't ever knock anyone for that. I don't it's hard for me to understand the reasoning. I I understand that statement. But I guess I don't – I feel like if you're doing all the things that you need to do, like all those opportunities would present themselves here. But, you know, I I do think that sometimes a, a, a fresh start somewhere and, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is if you take this level of player and – he transfers to a different school, like you're still this level of player. Now there may not be better players there for you, uh, like uh, that you're going up and competing against for starting roles and, and more production, but you're still this player. And I typically that doesn't change what's going to happen in the NFL. Like how you, how you change what happens in the NFL is changing the level of the player. And, are we doing that? Are we changing the level of the player by understanding what we're supposed to be doing, taking advantage of opportunities that present themselves, winning in practice, um, you know, winning in the strength and conditioning aspect of things? So that's that's the way I usually look at it. And I'm not that's not a that's not a Theo Weiss thing. That's an across the board transfer portal thing. Um, 
Now, if you got an opportunity to go link up with an offense that is just next level, then I, I think I guess there's a chance there that that can really influence things. But I don't know. I guess we'll just have to see how it unfolds. Which you know, if Theo Weiss does transfer, I sincerely want him to go somewhere and catch as many touchdowns as possible and be a first round draft pick. That's, that's what I want for all of these guys. I'm with you. And I, I will just add one thing. It was something I was thinking about because, you know, you go back to 2020 when we kind of became Rattler's go-to guy, right? A lot of that stuff. Where was it, Ted? Sideline. Sideline intermediate passing game. Mm-hmm. And if there's one complaint we've had about Jeff Levy's passing game this year, what has it been? Yeah, that's right. No intermediate so passing game. That's that's kind of where he thrived and like he was finding that role. Now the injuries, you know, what derailed last season, but I, I thought, you know, as I thought about it, I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like he is he's not a burner, right? He, he's right. not a burner. He, I, I think he prides himself on route running and, and, you know, being strong at the catch point, stuff like that. And there just wasn't, there wasn't a ton of that in this offense this season. So I, I don't know if that plays a big role in it or what, but we'll see. We'll see what Theo ends up deciding, you know, whatever he ends up deciding. I think he has, he's represented himself very well I agree. when it comes to his time at Oklahoma. Totally agree. I have, not one negative thing to say about Theo Weiss. I'm with all. you. I'm absolutely with you. Okay. Eric Gray accepts an invite to the Senior Bowl. That is, number one, that's awesome because you, the Senior Bowl, you, you and I know, like the Senior Bowl is where you can boost your stock pretty much better there than anywhere. Like more than the combine, like if you show that you can come and play football with the best players in the country, for the most part, I know that, you know, some of the, the underclassmen that are entering the draft that are going to be high picks can't participate, but I thought that that was, that was really good to see because he's had that type of season. And I think he worked extremely hard to have the type of season that he's had and he's been consistent and he's been physical and reliable. And I was, I was really glad to see it pay off for him in a senior bowl invite. That's, that's big time. That's huge for him. And I think he'll do really well there. You know, he's got a lot of really good skills. Um, you know, smart kid. A lot of it is how much, how quickly can you pick up some of the concepts and the, and the offense there? And, you know, other than that, it's a, it's a, it's a drill-oriented week of practice, right? And I think he'll do great, like one-on-ones against linebackers running routes. Um, it's going to be tough doing the pass protection there. That's I, always the hardest part on the backs. I was about to say, that will be – I think that'll be really, really important for him. I, I don't think – he's not a burner, right? But mm-hmm. one of the most overrated things – for NFL running backs is like top end speed, right? Every year when we have Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the senior bowl on, he always talks about, he's like, we really don't care about that. It's like, how quick are you in between the tackles? Like, how do you accelerate yet? Very rarely do you just rip off 40 and 50 yard runs in the national football league. It just doesn't happen. 
with the level of athletes in it. So I think his acceleration, his quickness, like I think that'll be able to stand out in that stuff. And I've always thought he could be a really good zone running back. Yeah. And he did not get to do a lot of that. Like, remember, he's running for the most part these last couple of years. Uh, I mean, they're majoring in counter scheme. And the inside zone stuff that they did this year, it was, you know, it was not true zone, right? Where he's pressing the front side and then cutting stuff back. That's just not how they operated. So I think that just him getting to run stretch, like I, th- I think he's going to be able to show some more of that vision uh, and that ability to to really make decisive cuts and get up the field. So I'd, I'd be surprised if he doesn't have a good week there in Mobile. Yeah, I agree. You know, I now that you mentioned it, I think that's him being a zone back. You know how he, whenever he gets to the perimeter, there's that little delay cut that he has on the safety? Yep. That's really like extended zone footwork. I mean, that's what you want. You know, kind of push it, a little bit of a delay, and then either cut it back or, or you know, come downhill. So – that's a really good point. I think that I think he would translate really good to some of those systems. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see what it means for his availability in the bowl game. Right. Now that you've got your senior bowl invite, I, I'm just being real. Him being healthy for the senior bowl for that week is significantly more important than him playing in a bowl game. And if there's any guy on the team, and I, I'd put Braden Willis in, in that category as well. If there's any guy on the team that I would not judge one bit for opting out of the bowl game, it would be Eric Gray. I feel like the man's done it. Like the man's done his job this season. Now I hope he plays. Let me make that clear. I hope he plays. I want to see him play one more game in an OU uniform. But I would just feel awful if something happened to him in the bowl game after getting the senior bowl invite, I'd feel uh, that would like, I'd be nervous. I'll be nervous the entire game for him. (laughs) If he plays, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. The one thing, um, I, for him, uh, he probably doesn't care about this at all. And I couldn't blame him if he did, or if he didn't, but, He's at what? He's at thirteen hundred sixty-four yards. I he and I'm trying to remember where. Like he's close to having like a top ten, like a, a really I, good. I season. think he made it. Did he? I make think the he top made 10? it into the top ten rushing seasons in OU history against Tech. Because right. remember, Tech or uh, Toby said something about it on the broadcast before the game started. I think he needed like what? Just uh, like not a many yards to get on there, yeah, like ninety the something, right? Yeah. yeah, and he definitely got it. So I think I think he already has a top ten individual yeah. rushing season in the history of OU football, which pretty damn good, especially when you factor it. They went yeah. six and six, <laughs> like, right? Yeah, it it's crazy that he. Yeah, I mean the numbers are are just wild. Like the way he closed things out was was just incredible. Still averaged six point four yards a carry on the season, which is awesome. So like he's got nothing to prove there, but like it's just one of those things that should he stay, 
I, he could chew up some some big names on that list for all time seasons, which is pretty cool. He will he will not be staying. <laughs> yeah, no, no has... I mean I don't I don't mean st- oh, I mean you... play in the bowl game. I I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Yeah, like you could you know see how high you could climb on that yeah. list. Like if you have a two hundred yard day, I don't know where that right. would take him on the list, but it would be uh, certainly be interesting to look at it. Okay. Michael Turk was not a finalist for the Ray Guy Award. And, Ted, I'm going to give you some credit. You've mentioned this on the broadcast quite a bit. And I think you were right. Because when you look at the numbers, he was third in punting average. At, you know, net yardage, he was great as well. But it appears all the ones that he kicked into the end zone hurt him when it came to this award. He was a semifinalist, did not make it as one of the three finalists. And if you're like, oh, it's because OU is bad, listen, the punter from Rutgers made it. <laughs> so record is not is not an issue when it comes to this award. But nine touchbacks, third most in all of college football for Turk. I, I think you're right, man. I think that's probably what ended up being the reasoning that he won the finalist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I was looking at it at one point and I think it was maybe before the Tech game, he had eight touchbacks. And the next highest in the Big 12, I think there was only like one other person that had three. And everyone else was one, two, or zero, I believe. So, yeah, that's that was uh, – and it's a – this is a – some awards are you got to play on a good team you got to play on a good defense. You got to play on a super productive offense. Like there's got to be, there's a little bit more to it. This award is strictly a statistical award, right? And if you have a, a, a part of those stats that kind of separate you from the rest of the group in a negative way, it's going to be hard. Yeah. Looking at just the big 12 punters. Turk had 20 punts of 50-plus, which was three more than the guy from Kansas State who can absolutely – punter was great. That dude can boom it. But, yeah, Kansas State's punter uh, had the next most touchbacks with four. Turk had nine. So, he had 20 20 punts inside the 20, uh, but also the nine touchbacks. I'm guessing – He also had, like – the most punts by like double of everyone else. <laughs> he had 10 more punts than the, uh, this, this is how, you know, it's bad. He had 10 more punts than Iowa state's punter and Iowa state's offense sucked. Yeah. Yep. That was, which was odd, right? He, whenever he first came, it's like, why did you come to Oklahoma? We don't ever punt. And we didn't punt very often. He got to go out there and show out every now and then. Um, this year he wore that leg out. I will miss, I will miss him dropping bombs. You know, you and I, we don't, we don't talk a lot about kickers and punters on here. I will miss him just hitting the ball and and watching it fly. It was like, he, he made watching the punt team kind of fun. One of my favorite things to do was it like when I'm up in the booth in pregame is watch whenever he goes out there because he like can really step into some and you get, he gets in a rhythm and he's hitting them like 
he'll hit some like 75 yards in the air. Just it's, it's really cool to watch. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what his NFL future looks like. Saw that he accepted an invite to the East West shrine game. So uh, that usually, usually a pretty good indication that he's, he's going to get a good shot, but only 32 jobs in the league. So it's, it's hard to catch on, but we'll, we'll see what, what Turk ends up doing at the next level. Okay, last thing I want to talk about. Bowl game. Lots of projections out there. Let's go through them. ESPN. Got the Sooners playing in the guaranteed rate bowl, which will be on Tuesday, December 27th in Phoenix. ESPN's got them playing Wisconsin. Uh, CBS and Sports Illustrated both have the Sooners in the guaranteed rate bowl, but they've got them playing Maryland. Action Network, also guaranteed rate bowl for the Sooners versus Wisconsin. 24-7 sports has the Sooners playing Arkansas in the Texas Bowl. That's December 28th in Houston. And then the Athletic has, and this is the only one I've seen that has OU in the Cheez-It Bowl, playing Florida State. That game is in Orlando on December 29th. Now, before, before we get to call your shot, where we asked you, asked the listeners, what bowl game do you want? What opponent do you want and why? What do we want, man? It's got to be guaranteed rate. That's what we want, right? We want guaranteed rate. That's it. We want to go to Phoenix. Um, we want to bring our golf clubs. We want to take the, we want to take the clubs. Um, I... Personally, would prefer to play Wisconsin. I've got a friend on that staff. Um, outside of that, I guess there's not much of a preference. I think Wisconsin is a better name to to possibly notch a win against than Maryland. Um, does it really matter? No. Uh, I think the timing of it is fine. It's after it's after Christmas. You know, you can. I enjoy Christmas here. And then for the fans head out to Phoenix, it's an easy flight. There's a bunch of direct flights, non nonstop to Phoenix through Southwest. Uh, really easy to get there. That to me, that's the, it's the no brainer. Yeah. The, the question for you and I becomes, when do we go? <laughs> right. Cause normally, and w when we were playing, like you're used to, Hey, you're, you're gone on Christmas. Typically, yeah. like if you're playing, if you're playing in a, you know, in a solid bowl game, you're even, you're, you're gone. Like yeah. even, you know, back in the BCS era, like you, you'd be gone on Christmas sometimes, but I don't want to miss Christmas for the guaranteed rate bowl. You know, right. like I, I've got my son, you know, I don't, I don't want to miss Christmas. So I, I'm wondering how OU's going to handle it. Right. The players now, now one thing I want to make very clear. I feel like there's this notion that it's like, oh, well, oh, you will just show up the day before the game and play. It's like, that's not how this works, man. There's a lot of people that work really, really, really hard year round to put on these bowl games. And while I don't necessarily care about their feelings, I do think you have a bad season by OU standards. You go six and six. You can't act like you're better than going to the guaranteed rate bowl. That's what you earned, man. So you're going to show up. 
you're going to smile. You're going to be appreciative of all the effort that these people and a bunch of those volunteers have put in. That's how you operate. It You are not, the guaranteed rate bull is not beneath you. It Sorry. is what you earned. Okay? So you're going to show up for the full week of events. You're going to smile. You're going to like it. You're going to tell them the food is awesome. That's how it's going to be. Yep. Yeah, and I think you're contractually obligated, too. That's like, if you accept the bowl bid, I don't think you decide when you show up into town. I I think the package is already set. You know, there'll be a handful of events. Obviously, the bigger the bowl game, the bigger the events, and the longer you're there. But... Yeah, I'm, I'm. I imagine they'd be there for probably three or four days. Yeah, and I will. You're gonna get up there when the when the bowl wants you to do when you've got the the joint dinner with the other team and it turns into the dance off. Guess what? You're getting up there and you're shaking your money maker. Okay, <laughs> like you, 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 you can still have fun. I know the I know the season was really, 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 really disappointing, but don't. Don't let that shape your attitude when it comes to how you treat those people that are putting the bowl game on. Like, that's that's not how this works. Handle it the way that the way that you should handle it when you play at OU, right? And that's yep. that's just where I'm at with it. That being said, I really hope they take a staff plane down on the 26th because <laughs> I would like to hop on that one. <laughs> well, the the again, that's the good thing about playing in phoenix is i it's not hard it's not hard to get a flight out there an easy flight out there um maybe it'll be a little bit more difficult around that time of the year um but there should be plenty of easy options to get out there um instead of like if you don't want to go out there with the team so early and all that stuff but yeah that's my pick um i guess i don't know where it was but there may be a chance and I don't think it'll happen, but is it the first responders bowl that's in Fort worth? Yeah. I think there's maybe a chance of that bowl too, which that bowl game is on the 22nd. So that would be, uh, that would be an easy yes on that one. I, I would like to formally accept, the first responder bowl bid for the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, that would be – I feel like we'd have to get passed up by quite a few games, which I, I know it's been a disappointing season, but Oklahoma is still a very big brand that travels extremely well to bowl games. So we would – we'd have to get passed up by quite a few people, right, to yeah. – to go to that I don't one? Think, I don't think that's going to happen, um, but I did I did hear someone mention it. Um, I think one of them that is not on this list that is an op that is a that has potential would be the Liberty Bowl. Um, and I know on, on here, two four seven Sports has us playing Arkansas in the Texas Bowl. I think a more likely scenario may be Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. But who knows? What do I know? Yeah, I, I think the the podcast's official vote, which does not matter one bit, is the guaranteed rate bold versus Wisconsin. Yep. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. Sunday, we'll know Sunday, right? We'll know Sunday. We'll know Sunday. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys 
what bowl game and what opponent do you want for the Sooners and why? Uh, this first one comes from at T-Town Sooner, who says, Wisconsin in the guaranteed rate bowl. Good matchup for OU. The reason I picked that one. We sure, we sure it's a good matchup. Do, do you think our buddy T-Town Sooner is aware? And I know there's some rumors that Braylon Allen's going to hop in the transfer portal. There's a lot of, a lot of rumors he's going to go to USC. There's some rumors he might go to Michigan, which would be a disaster for, for Wisconsin. But Luke Fickle just took that job. I'm sure he is lobbying Braylon Allen. Uh, very, uh, very hard to stay a Badger. We sure it's a good matchup with their 6'2", 240-pound running back? We sure? No, which I don't even know what is a good matchup. For, like, what would, you, what would you select as a good matchup for Oklahoma trait-wise on an opposing team? I, I don't know what that is. I've I've seen us get beat through the air, seen us get beat on the ground. Uh I've seen us get beaten special teams. I've seen us get beat, get stagnated offensively by good defenses and not so good defenses. I, I don't I don't know what the great matchup for us would be. Um because I typically, at least this is my opinion of it. The, the most difficult opponent for us this year has been the University of Oklahoma. So, yeah, I hear you. All right, this other one comes from at widget underscore Brian. He says Liberty Bowl and Ole Miss ooh, or Texas Bowl and Arkansas. Either way, an SEC opponent. Also, the storylines with the Oklahoma ties would be good. I don't want to play Wisconsin because they are going through a transition. Huh. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, you never know. I I would like to play Wisconsin if they're going to have a bunch of guys jump in the transfer portal and not have their full team because beating Wisconsin looks and sounds good. Yeah. I I don't I honestly I don't know and I don't think anyone knows like how a transitioning team is going to respond. You can look to examples of a transitioning team responding really well. And the interim guys, the guys that are, 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 you know, running the bowl game are, you know, it's a, it's a job interview, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, other times, they've got other stuff going on and it's just like a secondary deal that they are forced to kind of do and finish while they've got the majority of their attention elsewhere. So I don't know. You, it's, it's hard to hard to know how a team would respond to that. Yeah. I, I think all you have to do is, and, and I know Oregon was going through a transition last year as well, but transitioning Oklahoma played pretty well in the Alamo bowl, but great. So, so let's be careful what we wish for. There, I'm just saying at this last one, I just love this one. It comes from at fetch my beer on Twitter who says, whichever one we have the best shot of winning with early entries and transfers and everything else, it's more important to get win number seven than it is to get it against a respectable opponent. I love that. That, that is definitely true. I, 
who you, who you look back on and say we beat this year in the bowl game ultimately does not matter. What matters is you need to beat them and uh, secure the the winning season streak since what ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that that's a good way of looking at it. Fetch my beer. Sure. I, I appreciate that perspective. All right, birthday shout outs time. Light light list. Yeah. Happy first birthday to Joseph White. Happy seventh birthday to Charlie Mattingly. Nailed it. Nailed it. And happy 28th birthday to John Poe. All right, let's preview conference championship weekend with our guy, Cole Kublik. But first, the only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Loves has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Loves has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java Hamari. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also has you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile-to-go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator and some gas perks, people. Make sure you download it. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Opelous Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opelousclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all of the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. It's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence, with a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. All right. Here's our man, Cole Kublik. It is our pleasure to be joined by the host of Mac and Cube on WJOX in Birmingham. He also has a new college football podcast he's doing on Sundays, Cube Show. Cole Kublik's in the house. What's going on, man? What's up, fellas? Glad to be with you. Good to be hanging out. How we doing, man? We've had a wild season. It's been a lot of fun watching this thing unfold. There's been a couple of weekends that been some of the best weekends of college football i can remember especially here late that's the best part is yep. what was it two weeks ago when we thought it was going to be a a really sleepy saturday and they didn't look like there's going to be any upsets there weren't a lot of ranked matchups and then all hell broke loose and actually had a chance to for hell and then some to break loose and based on the way that morning slate went didn't quite happen that way but it's been awesome man it's been a it's been a cool season you know seeing Team like TCU be able to get where they are. 
do what they've done. You know, Michigan, I think a lot of people thought they were going to take a huge step back for them to be right back in the mix again. Uh, it's been fun, Tennessee, to be able to pop up and exceed expectations and get some huge wins against Alabama at home, you know, end a massive losing streak against Florida, um, be able to win at LSU the way they did. It's been it's been a lot of fun, man. It's been a cool season. Now, before we you know, preview what I think could end up being a really fun conference championship weekend, we got to talk about your alma mater, man. Right, because uh, Auburn, you're you're an Auburn guy. You're kind of one of the spokesmen of the program. Although, although you uh, you're as critical of that program as anyone. Hugh Freeze, what do you think? I think Hugh will win games, and and I think Hugh has a chance to have real sustainability as the Auburn head football coach for a long time. Um, he is aligned with a lot of the people that matter. And there were people that will debate that. You know, I kind of stole that phrase from Brian Kelly. That's when I think it sort of, we all realized how brilliant it was, just alignment and how we need that in college football with our programs. And there there are people that tell you the fan base not aligned and that a portion of the fan base doesn't like it. It's true. I mean, I've I've had plenty of people call into McElroy and I show or tweet me and tell me they're done. They're not going to pay attention to Auburn football anymore, whatever it is. But on the flip side of that, I think when when you talk about alignment and what really matters, and not that the fans don't because they do, but you have to be aligned with the people at the top. And that's been a big problem for Auburn coaches in the past. And I think there could be more alignment with this hire and the people high in the administration and even above the administration that – goes further than we've had in a long time. When I say we right now, I speak as as an Auburn alum and as an Auburn letterman. Uh, Some people get that mixed up when I speak as we as members of the media. But it's confusing. I get it. Um, But I I think Hugh Freeze is the guy that a lot of them wanted last time, and they wanted this time. And so they got their guy. So my thing now is I, I thought it was great when Auburn went outside the box and made a completely different hire, got away from the good old boy network. I celebrated that. I thought it was great for Auburn University in the Auburn Athletic Department. Well, that blew up in our face, and I was wrong about it. I'll admit that. So, you know what? Lean into it. Lean into the guys that help. Lean into the guys that matter. But by God, you make that NIL fund stacked and loaded every year. If you're going to get what you want, and you're going to have it your way, and this is going to be the Burger King of athletic departments, you make sure the cash register is full. And if that happens, I think it's a it's a pretty nice trade-off. Um Hugh Freeze has won games in the SEC, knows how to recruit. I'm anxious to see the staff because, you know, he oversold it a little bit yesterday saying, oh, the amount of big-name coaches that want to come here. Well, you can't say that and then bring in a bunch of guys from Liberty. Like That, that can't happen. But I don't think it will happen. I think some of them will come as, as maybe analysts or things of that nature. But if he puts a good staff together, I think he has a chance to attack the portal. There's going to be a lot of receivers, running backs, quarterbacks interested in playing in his offense. And – I think if that takes place, you have a chance to flip it pretty quick. The problem is you play Nick Saban and Kirby Smart every year, and now you play a division that Sam Pittman has overachieved, that Lane Kiffin is doing great things in, that Mike Leach, who's a proven commodity, is doing well in, and that Brian Kelly just overachieved in year one. So not everyone in one division can continue to overachieve. That's literally impossible. So it's going to be tough going based on who you have to go against, but – he has everything in place to go do it. Um, the NIL fund is ready. 
He has a brand new football facility that he'll be the first head coach to step into that takes a backseat to no one. You have a passionate fan base, a great home field advantage. You can sell the SEC. Like I said, I think, I think Hugh Freeze will win games. And there are people I understand that, that don't like it and don't think it's right or morally they disagree with it. I'd be the last one to sit here and tell you guys that people don't deserve second chances or things in your past should be held against you because I wouldn't be where I am if that's the case. I mean, hell, I'm on chance probably 30 right now in my life. So, you know, it's I understand that some people don't like him. That's your prerogative. Um, you know, there are things about him that are going to have to be different. You know, I think the the skin's going to have to be a little bit thicker, and you know he's going to have to he's going to have to have maybe a, a new set of armor when it comes to what people are saying about him or tweeting about him. And if that can be done, I, I think Hugh Freeze can win games, and I think he can be the all-over head coach for a long time. Yeah, it seems like uh, I guess call it the new era of college football kind of aligns with his strengths, right? Recruiting and being able to get some good players in there. And I, I I think that that's going to be critical quarterback. I, if he's got a quarterback, he's got a chance. What's, yeah. what's that looking like? Do you think he's going transfer portal for that or, or what's the options there? Nettie, I think that's feasible, but I think with one with Robbie Ashford, I think you have a lot to work with talent wise. And what's interesting about it is I see not exactly skill set, but just strengths, weaknesses, and how they balance out. There's a lot of where Malik Willis was, where Robbie Ashford is. You know, Malik showed greatest capability. He had a big, strong arm. But the intermediate stuff, the accuracy, not as consistent. He was super athletic. But he wasn't ready to be a college quarterback. Well, he goes to Liberty. He he gets different coaching, a little bit of a different system. And guess what? Now, you know, he he's a guy that, that probably has a bright future in the NFL. Uh, so I think Hugh probably looks at Robbie Ashford and says, oh, we can work with that. There's, there's a ton of ability that if we can sort of hone, like, I mean, some really small. First couple of games this year, Robbie Ashford would throw a traditional screen like he was Dwight Gooden trying to throw a fastball past Keith Hernandez in a spring training game. Like the last couple of games, he does the traditional, you know, give ground, draw the rush, float it over the rush, like a screen should be thrown. So he's taking small steps and you can see, okay, this is a set of skills that if honed correctly, might allow him to be a successful college quarterback. And then Zach Calzada has said that he wants to stay. And he wants to fight for that job. And he's a guy that doesn't have the same mobility, but obviously has a big, strong arm. He pushed the ball down the field. And you think about what Hugh did with guys like Bo Wallace and Chad Kelly that didn't really have elite mobility or speed and utilized their ability to push the ball down the field. So I think he'll have a couple to choose from right there on his roster. But if there's one that he thinks can be better in the portal that he can get, I would imagine he would go there. I think it's more important that they attack offensive line and receiver in the portal because that's where Auburn is really deficient. They do not have a number one go-to eraser back shoulder in the red zone or back shoulder on third and five that you feel, feel pretty damn confident he's coming away with the ball or the defender's probably going to have to interfere with him to keep him from getting that ball. So most things going to go your way. And they just don't have a lot of offensive linemen that would start at a lot of other schools in the SEC. That's the nicest way I know how to say it. So I think those two positions probably more critical than quarterback right now. Interesting. Well, we will 
We'll certainly be keeping tabs on your Auburn Tigers moving forward, Cole. But let's dive into these games, man. And, and let's start. Let's start on Friday night. Pac-12 championship game between Utah and USC. We the first two the first time these two teams played got a fantastic, exciting game. I I don't know if Utah can slow down Caleb Williams in the way that this team is playing currently offensively, but you think Utah can pull it off again? You think they can beat this team twice? They can. I don't think they will. Um, I think the recipe is to maintain possession. Um, I think that offensive line plays good football. And I think with Tavion Thomas, you go and you say, okay, we're going to try to control this game. We're going to try to take the possessions under 10 and then hope for a mistake or two, which let's be real. I think, I think USC's turned it over four times this year. I mean, good God, think about that number. Like how many games have we watched where one team turned it over four times this year? Yeah. I think they've one fumble on the entire season. (laughs) One fumble lost. Correct. I mean, there, aren't they like plus 24 or something like plus that? 22, I think. 22? In, yeah. in the it's, it's completely insane what they're doing from a turnover perspective. Plus 22, three interceptions. They've lost one fumble on the year. Now, is some of that good fortune? Yeah. Okay. But you don't go this far with that kind of a turnover margin and only having lost one fumble and thrown three picks as much as they're put in the air. I mean, that that's something that they obviously focused on and that they understand how to maintain. Um, but I think you got to get their possessions under 10. You hope for a couple of punts and a mistake or two. And then you're like, okay, we have our defense has two chances to, to go win this game. And how does it play out at that point? Put yourself in the game in the fourth quarter. Hope you have the ball and you can go four-minute offense and get out of there and steal one. But I, I think you're right. USC just has so many dynamic playmakers in so many places. And obviously, losing Travis Dye was big. But the thing that that has surprised me more than anything else is what Coach Henson's done with that offensive line. That group looks totally different than a year ago. And I know there were people that watched them last year and said, oh, this group's great, and this group's going to be so much one of the best in the league. I still don't think they understand comparatively last year to this year how different that group really is. So that's where they separate themselves from what I thought they would be and a lot of other people thought they would be. I just think Caleb's playing at too high of a level. They're taking care of the football. They're taking the football away. But if Utah is going to do it, I think they have to maintain possession, limit the amount of times that Caleb Williams touches the football, hope for a mistake or two, hope for a punt or two, and then all of a sudden you're down to like a two-possession game each way. And then you try to go out and win the game that way. I think that's the path. It's not a very easy one. And I don't see many other paths in which Utah can win that game. But just imagine where that confidence level is for USC right now. Because there were, you know, Oregon State game was kind of iffy. You mentioned the earlier Utah game. Okay, we were like, yeah, good, but nah, not great. The confidence got to be through the roof right now. And that makes a big difference in games like this. Caleb Williams, um, is there any way he doesn't win the Heisman Trophy at this point? If not him, who else would it be? Yeah, I don't see it, Teddy. I don't know who else that guy would be. I think there are some other guys like Blake Corum deserves to be there. I think you can make an argument for Hendon Hooker, even with the injury, maybe deserving to be in New York. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud's had a hell of a year. Duggan, TCU? Yeah, Max Duggan's had an awesome year. And, and probably I would have no problem with him being in New York, but I mean, I think it's Caleb Williams' trophy. And, and I'd be really surprised if anybody else took it home. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, let's move on to the Big 12 championship game, which I think has the chance to be the best game of the entire weekend. TCU, Kansas State, 
just been a magical season yep. for the Horn Frogs. But Cole, coming into this game, Kansas State with Will Howard a quarterback, they're they're playing some really good football. How do you see this one going, man? Almost a little bit similar to what we described with that last game. And I think when you get to these settings, you you take your strength, you take what's a mismatch, and you have to apply it and say, this is our best way to go win this game. And for me, Kansas State, that's physicality. And I think you go in this game and you try to prove that you're the more physical football team. You try to control it that way. Now, that doesn't mean that play action is not going to open up and the RPO game is not going to open up and you're not going to hit things down the field. But I think if Kansas State is going to beat TCU, they got to punch them in the face and they got to do it multiple times in this game. Because if you get any sort of a shootout, we just mentioned Max and what he's done. I mean, the, TCU is an explosive play waiting to happen. And that's not just through the air. A lot of times when we say that, like that's one of the misnomers with Tennessee this year. It's like, oh, well, they hit all these deep balls. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt's caught a lot of deep passes. But go look at the 40, 50, 60, and 80-yard touchdown runs their running backs have. And I think TCU is kind of the same way. What they do through the air and the quarterback run opens up so many other things that they're able to generate explosive plays in a lot of different ways. So Kansas State, I think, has to be more physical, and you have got to limit explosive plays. And I'm, I'm talking like next to none. It's one of the really good – like I take a perfect example of a game like that. Look at LSU and AM last week. So the things that LSU is doing well this year, they spread the field – they make high percentage throws, but their receivers are so talented, the catch and run often turns into explosive plays. Same thing with quarterback run. Like Jaden Daniels has given them back-breaking runs early in games almost every week. AM didn't allow it. So very similar plan there for Kansas State. Tackle well, be more physical, don't give up plays over the top defensively at the third level, and I think you're in that game. Because like you said, they've gotten good quarterback play. They have just enough balance offensively. And I think the real mismatch is their physicality. So if they can utilize that portion of their game and sort of make the game go the way that they want to, that Kleiman I think probably wants to, being around him a little bit, knowing what his mentality is, I think that's the path for Kansas State to win that game. And I think you're right, Gabe. There are not a lot of people talking as much about that game as it being a classic this weekend. I think it has a chance to be. As much as we've seen K-State over the years, we know that if it's a if it's going to be a close game, if they can if they can force a, a stalemate offensively and defensively, they're going to win the game in special teams. They're they're going to create a kick return for a touchdown, punt return for a touchdown. That's just how they do it. What I think is interesting is how much better their offense has been with Will Howard at quarterback, and it's been a shock because this dude was horrendous as a backup over the last two two years and he came in and I said oh it's over for Kansas State wrong he's looked amazing he's made some really good throws he's big he's athletic I mean that just they can get in some of those heavy heavy sets and run quarterback you know power and stuff like that with him he's been a game changer well the, the other part about that Teddy that I think is even crazy is I think a lot of us sort of said that when, when Adrian transferred in, we were kind of like, eh, I mean, okay, serviceable, but this isn't going to be great. And then it was great with him. And then he goes out and your your theory kind of steps in and you're just like, ah, we've seen a little bit of this and it, it can't be better. And then it was better. So it's that's one of the things about, this is a little off, off topic, but that's one of the cool things about college football 
And it's one of the things that really pisses me off about the rankings this week is I think there are a lot of people that look at Tennessee and they say, well, we're going to put Alabama ahead of you because Hidden Hooker's not there. And it's like, well, hold on. The team accomplished this. The team got here. Hinden Hooker didn't get there. Did he have a lot to do with it? Absolutely. He's awesome. He's had a great year. He's an amazing kid. He's a great story. But I had that game last week. And on the first drive of the game, Joe Milton goes bombs away. And all of a sudden, Tennessee's up. And they go up and win by 60-some points. Um, I mean, how many examples do we need of whether it's Ohio State having to put a backup quarterback in in the playoffs and making a run and going and winning? Or different quarterbacks that have stepped in over the years and either been better than the starter or had more success. And so I just sometimes I think we look at certain individuals and even though they're great, we just think there's no chance for somebody else to be good. And that's the great thing about this sport is because of the age, because of the level of experience, guys can be different in a hurry. Guys, all you get two or three games under your belt or hell, two or three practice reps as the one you could be totally different like Teddy you know it as a linebacker like you probably didn't see shit the same way when you were getting third string or second string reps and then all of a sudden you're the starter you get all those reps and you're like boom 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 all right Gabe and I get in there and it's like we don't know the difference between an odd and an even defense watching it on film and then we get or we can see it on film we line up and we're like I have no idea what this is but then we do it for two weeks as the number one and it's like odd stack even bear we know it because we've seen it guys can change in a hurry man that's the cool thing about college football and it's a cool thing about what coach Kleiman's done there at kansas state too yeah no doubt about it uh i'm with you okay sec championship game lsu have any chance to make this interesting against georgia i think they do um, first off, I'll say this about Georgia. There are a lot of people that are kind of down on Georgia because it just hasn't been as dominant the last few weeks. I look at that a very different way. Um, if you go to the Kentucky game and some of the Georgia Tech game, I don't think it was really a lackluster performance as much as it was a, and you guys will understand this, a very low risk game plan, if you will where we don't need to take a bunch of shots down the field. We don't need to run all these plays that consist of some sort of a read or a mesh or an option play. Like they're kind of just running plays a lot of the time. And defensively, they don't have to be overly aggressive and commit eight or nine guys to the box or have, you know, all these, you know, 90 Steelers pressure packages where people have no idea who's dropping and coming. It's just kind of, hey, we think we're better than you. We're going to go run our defense. We're going to run our offense and we're going to win a game. We're going to get out of here and be undefeated. I That's what I've seen the last couple of weeks for the most part, not all of it. So I do think there's a chance that maybe they twist that knob a little bit and look like a little bit of a different team, but there are also some things that LSU does that I think can be complicated. You heard me mention a few of them before they can spread you out. And I don't know if a lot of people hadn't watched a lot of LSU this year, but that's basically what they are. I mean, they can go four and five wide receiver sets. Jaden is – and it, it's a, the cool part about LSU is I don't really view them as they got X amount better this year. I just think the coaches just kind of mixed and matched a little bit. They more figured out what they're good at than they did just get a lot better. Because early on, I think they tried to be something that they're not. Then they realized, okay, our quarterback goes faster under tempo. 
they did a couple of studies where plays that the the play clock was 19 and higher, he was like 85% as opposed to like 60% under that. It's like, all right, let's go tempo. He's better than that. He doesn't need a full field progression. Let's give him half field reads. Or, you know what? We've seen that he's such a good runner. Let's give him one, two, boom, take off and go. And by the way, let's design a few more quarterback runs for him because he's shown the durability and he can be dynamic. So I think they can go wide. They can empty the box. And if you don't want to, he'll take the RPOs or the quick throws. And they have the talent at receiver to turn those into explosive plays. So you got to tackle well. But you also have to defend an extra gap because now you have quarterback run. Also early on, very young offensive line. Two freshman tackles playing at the same time for a long time. And a freshman tight end who, let's be real, kind of like what we talked about, taking some time to figure things out. I don't know about you guys. I didn't see many freshman tight ends that get in there and knock people around. Like, yeah, you can catch balls, but handling edge defenders in the SEC, there's not many that are very good at that. Well, Taylor's gotten better at it across the year, and now he's kind of used to it. So they do have a little bit more of a north-south run threat that they can rely on. Defensively, I think they can physically match up at the point of attack. Uh, they got a couple of guys that play – Jacqueline Roy's played really good football. Uh, watch 99 and 92 inside. I think 92 is one of the more underrated players in the SEC. And then off the edge, Ali Gay, B.J. Olajari, they can play the run. They can get to the quarterback. And now – you mix in this Troy Palomalu like Harold Perkins, who can play off the ball and read. He can line up on. He's got legit. He's a freshman. He's got legit pass rush moves off the edge. Like he understands how to dip and rip. He understands how to use his hands. He can turn speed to power. Like he is a legitimate pass rusher right now. You can use him all over the place. They line him up at a zero nose and kind of play bear, and they can bring him. They can drop him. Do different things. So. I think defensively, the other thing I like about them is their safeties fly to the box and are not afraid to tackle. And if Georgia wants to go ground and pound, that will be extra support that LSU can add on a regular basis. So if Georgia does all the things that A&M did, their defensive line disrupts and their offensive line sort of handles the LSU defensive line, they tackle well on the perimeter, they don't give up those back-breaking runs from the quarterback, Georgia will be fine. But if LSU starts doing some of those things that they've been good at all year, then Georgia has to make some decisions. Do we stack the box, play the run, play quarterback run? Do we spy him? Do we put extra guys out on the perimeter to try to take away the catch and run? So it's a it's going to be an interesting cat and mouse game if LSU has success early. But the other part of that is I do think there's a chance that Georgia kind of says, okay, you know, we've been playing on seven, seven and a half. We're going to go to nine. And if they get there, then it could be a totally different game. Just quick, uh, before we move on, how's this Georgia team compare to last year's? I don't really think they do, Teddy. Especially on defense, they're just, they don't have the same kind of guys at, at, at as many spots. Like, I mean, Carter is amazing, and he'll be an early round draft pick. Um, I think the linebackers are coming on a little bit. That's where I think they're most different is last year they had big-time erasers at the second level. And I think what the guys inside did was make you say, we're not even going to mess with that, so we're going to try to get you out here. And those second-level defenders were so good that they were arriving to the spot before the ball did. Like, they were playing plays before plays developed. You, You know exactly what that means. 
And so they just made life so difficult being so good at all three levels. And to be honest with you, the third level didn't really matter that much for them last year. But I don't know. I don't know if they're all of that just yet. Athletically, I think they're pretty close. It's just an experience level, the ability to read and recognize as early. And they're just not quite as dominant across the board up front. Like you didn't move Jordan Davis last year. You just didn't. And then no one talked about Devonta Wyatt, who was right there next to him. You didn't move him. So now you got these edge defenders that are doing whatever the hell they want and the linebackers that are going wherever they want because no one could get to them. And so it's not to that level, but I do think the offense is a little bit better. I think the offense can be more explosive at times. If the receivers are healthy, they can get a little bit more downfield. Brock Bowers is just, he's a mismatch no matter where he is. Um, I liked how they tried to force feed him the football last week against Georgia Tech early. They've gotten away from that at times. But not even Harold Perkins. Like, LSU doesn't have a matchup for him. And if they can find ways to get him the football quickly, then then he could be a guy that completely takes over a game. Yep. I hear you. All right, Big Ten championship game. Michigan coming into this matchup with Purdue with all the momentum in the world. Like, Do you think this thing – what, Aiden O'Connell, you think he can keep this thing competitive <laughs> if they can – Produce offensively. I just, I just can't imagine Michigan not rolling in this game. No, I'm with you. Um, you know, I do think that Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones will probably grab a little bit. Um, Ohio State put a few things on film through the air that they may be able to replicate to an extent. But the problem is, Michigan plays bully ball as well as anybody in college football, and I just don't think Purdue is going to be able to match up to that. Um, none of us. We all thought Jim Harbaugh was off of his rocker. It was either in fall camp or beginning of the season when he said, I think this defense might be better than last year. We're like, bro, stop. Like, that sounds cool, but no way. It might be better than last year. I mean, and I think it's because they're not as reliant on one or two guys. Like, collectively, I think they're more dominant across the board up front. And then they had the juice at receiver last year. They didn't really get to it as much. Well, now they're getting to it a little bit more. They're a little bit more capable at the quarterback position this year, and so they're that much more difficult to defend up front. Um, it's going to be hard for them to not keep that Joe Moore award in-house because they had it last year, and it's it's going to be very difficult for us to go get that trophy and ship it somewhere else. But that's where that's where they become super difficult, man, is at the line of scrimmage. And if you can't match up, it's going to be a big problem. And you saw what happened when Ohio State overcommitted to try to say, yeah, we're not going to let you do that. Okay, cool. We can throw it past your guys. And that's where I think – I think offensively Purdue will get a little bit, but I just – I don't see defensively them being able to manage what Michigan's going to be able to hit them with. Yeah. If if Blake Corum gets healthy and, you know, just kind of considering the field this year – Seems like they may have a, a really good shot at, at winning the whole thing. I mean, yeah, I think the I mean, I think the only I don't even know if it'll be a really bad matchup, but the only matchup that they probably wouldn't really want to see would be Georgia because physically Georgia is can match up and is a little bit more dominant in certain areas. Like, I mean, guys, Georgia Brock Bowers is is not like the true tight end at Georgia. I mean, they they've got Darnell Washington who's six seven, two eighty-five playing tight end. He's jumping over people and catching footballs. Well, then Bowers can be your move tight end. Kenny McIntosh is bullying people over out of the backfield. He's a big physical back. 
the offensive line, they're all the guards and tackles are all monsters. Like you guys, when you see the tackles for Georgia, it's impossible not to look at them and say, well, God created an offensive tackle when he made that guy. Like hands going past the kneecaps and like rear ends that stick out with like they and they actually don't have bellies hanging over their belt. Like it's just it's stupid to see. So physically, and then we mentioned what they have defensively, like they can they can attack with speed off the edge. They've got power. They can move outside, inside. So that would be the matchup that would be the most intriguing. But you think about Michigan against a TCU or a Michigan against a USC, like I think Michigan could probably keep USC under eight possessions in a game because I don't think USC could stop them. So, you know, it's – they they are a more well-rounded team than last year. Last year, they had the brute force. This year, I think collectively they're a little better on defense, and I think they're a little more explosive offensively. They can play, they can, they can play through the air a little bit better this year than last year. They were limited last year with what they could do through the air. This year they're different, and it's gonna make for some fun matchups in the playoff, no doubt. As far as the ACC championship game. Is Drake May the only reason we watch this thing? Is that it? <laughs> um, well, I mean, there are other players that are going to be fun to watch. Like Trenton Simpson at Clemson is one of the best linebackers in college football. Super explosive. Obviously, Will Shipley is overly dynamic. Um, maybe this is this gives us an idea of what the quarterback picture is going to look like down the road at Clemson. Dabo says he's sticking with DJ, but – I don't know, guys. The last couple of games, nothing has looked comfortable. It just does not look comfortable. There doesn't look like there's a lot of confidence. Uh, we know there's multiple guys on that defensive line that are going to play in the NFL. That could be fun to watch. But Drake May, like you said, he is that guy. And, I mean, there are people saying that he might be the first quarterback taken if he could come out this year. So if you want to get a look of the quarterback that we're going to be talking about for the next two years, watch the ACC championship game because Drake May is going to be that dude. Think DJU stays at Clemson. I've, I've heard some people say that they felt like he was going to hit the portal, maybe get a. It, it's not like it's anything against Clemson that just maybe he needs a, a change of scenery. I I felt like that was very possible last year, Teddy. And so, I mean, hell, there's a handful of kids that I would tell you across the entire country that I would say no way they're, they'll never hit the portal because I think it's. I mean, if I would have told you guys 365 days ago, hey, that receiver from Pitt is going to go to the portal, you'd have told me I was crazy. Like, the dude just shattered every record. He just won the Belitnikov. Like, what are you talking about? There he goes. So, it's a, it's like if I would have told you that a kid playing quarterback that had beaten his rival was wearing the same number at the same school with the same name on the back of his jersey as his dad, and was most likely going to be the starter next year, that he was going to hit the portal and go to Oregon, you would have said, you're crazy. Here we are. Yeah. So I, I don't – it's hard for me to look at any kid and say he would definitively never go to the portal. I'm, I'm with you. All right, one more and we'll let you get out of here, man. Do you think the college football playoff is already set no matter what happens this weekend? No. I don't. Um, the interesting discussion is whether or not TCU is in no matter what. And if this were four weeks ago, I would have looked at that schedule and said, 
Absolutely. Look what they've done. But not every team on that schedule has ramped it up towards the end of the year. And I think that might work against them. You know, I had I had TCU in the top four of every one of my that we did for ESPN for the games that I do. Like they've been in my top four every week because of what they did from a schedule perspective. But there are certain things that this committee has said that would make me nervous if I were TCU. And it frustrated me the first two weeks because it was, well, teams, look how fast this team scores. Look how many points this team scores. Look at the rate this team scores. It's almost like this committee has forgotten that there are two other facets of football. That's defense and special teams. And I, for one, it, it bothers me when people say, well, a team had to come from behind to win. I actually respect the hell out of it when a team comes from behind to win. I actually respect the hell out of a team that faces adversity and finds a way to get it done, especially when it's not the same way each and every week. Because we all know if you're a one-trick pony, you're going to get got at some point. Someone's going to get you. It might be in the regular season, conference title game, playoff. You're going to get got. And so I think we thought TCU was just Max Duggan for a little while. Oh, whoa, that tailback's pretty good. Oh, their offensive line's playing good ball. Oh, they can get some stops when they need to. Okay. They can come from behind. Cool. They can jump out to a big lead. Cool. So because of how the committee seems to be obsessed with offense and because they they outwardly discussed some frustration with how they were winning games at one point in time, that would scare me a little bit if I were TCU. Um, I could see them losing and still getting in. Uh, but I think where Ohio State is, and more importantly, the way this committee has talked about it, I don't think Ohio State's one of the best four teams in the country, no matter what happens this weekend. I just don't believe that. I haven't I haven't been in love with them all year. And I I question why people had them as a number one, two, three team in the nation going in based on what was gone. And that defense had not been what it had been for the last three or four years. So I I would be worried about that. And I'll be worried about what the committee had, how they have complimented Ohio State this year. Because I could see a scenario where Ohio State gets in if they were to go down and maybe it wasn't a very comfortable loss. I hear you. It'll be interesting. That'll be it's a great question. If USC and TCU lose, who deserves to be in? You know, just if TCU loses, what's it gonna look like? Because it gets hairy really quick if USC and TCU lose. And I think those are the two most likely losses. Over the weekend, I mean, it's it's a weird picture after that. Very, very weird because you know I. The one thing that I don't first off the one thing right now in the rankings that I can't be okay with is Alabama over Tennessee. I, I just and I understand Tennessee lost that South Carolina actually looks better now. It's an eight win team to just beat the number nine team on the road, by the way, uh, and they lost on the road. Uh, Alabama close losses, sure. They also have close wins that, for some reason, nobody wants to talk about Texas or Texas A&M. Or Ole Miss had four plays inside the 20 to beat that team. They couldn't do it. So we saw that game. It happened. Like, my eyes witnessed it. I've watched the film like five times. I watched most of it live. It took place. If you're telling me that two teams with identical records and very similar strength of schedule, strength of record, whatever freaking metric you want to throw into it, but they played. Like they traded paint and the one that won is not ahead. I do not know what to do with you. And my brain will never compute that. 
There's not a day left in my life that my brain will be able to compute. Two teams played, one of them won, the other is ranked ahead of them. I mean, this is literally like Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas and us watching it and somebody saying, Mike Tyson won that fight, man. Did you see the combinations early in that fight? Did you see the defense that he showed early? I'm like, bro, he knocked his ass out. I saw it. I witnessed it. No, no, no. Yeah, but Buster had to come from behind. There you go. <laughs> he was uh, overweight. He didn't look good when they fought. Yeah. So, yeah. All I know is he knocked his ass out. And just like Tennessee knocked Alabama out. There's n- So then you also tell me last night that definitively – Ohio State and Alabama's spots are not – they're not clear or they're not safe, whatever the verbiage was. Basically, that those can be moved or exchanged. How can two teams that don't play switch positions? <laughs> it's inexplicable. And I'm not somebody who gets mad at the committee all the time because I realize this is not all ever going to even out. There are too many variables. It's too different in too many ways schedules, teams, strength of schedules, venues, whether you injuries, body clock, game control, whatever the hell metric we want to talk about and focus on this year, wins and losses head to head over. It's like when I always tweet out overall opponent record and everybody gets so mad. I'm like, guys, it's factual information. The the teams that this team played won this many games, lost this many games. And that's I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but, folks, that that is what it is. The teams did this and didn't do that. That's all. And we can look at it a lot of other ways, too, and that's great. That's cool. We should. But, by God, when one team has the same record and a similar resume and they beat them, I can't go for that. I'm with you, man. Just like, like Hall and Oates. Can't go for that. Uh, <laughs> what a great reference. I'm with you. Well, Captain Croatia, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Got, got, tomorrow we're going. We're ready. You look prepared, man. You look like you look like you're about to be in soccer hooligan mode. I love it. The reality I can, is I can I had see him like on. running down a, a, a street somewhere, beating the hell out of a rival with, with a pack <laughs> of other guys wearing that jersey for sure. Well, I, you know, the good news there, Teddy, is that uh, I don't think there's any Belgium fans running around Birmingham, Alabama. That's so we're, good. We're going to be safe. We're going to be good. All right, man. Hey, you're the best. One of the hardest working people in sports media that I know, man. Keep it up. Absolutely. Enjoy being with you guys. Thanks for having me. That man Kublik's dialed in, man. Big brain on that guy. That's where you go to get up to date on everything going on in college football. Love it. He's got like young kids and seems seemingly is always watching films somehow. It's impressive. Well, yeah, I remember, gosh, was it was it two years ago? We had him on at one point, I think whenever one of his kids had just been born, right? And yeah. <laughs> you could like see the uh the the sleepiness and the uh, the stress there, but yeah, he's uh, he's always on top of it. Yeah, he's the best. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, it's football time in Oklahoma, people, and there's nothing better to drink at the tailgate 
than Clubby Seltzers. Clubby Seltzers is an Oklahoma company that's already winning national awards because their product is delicious. Tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. They're not just for tailgating either. Perfect to drink on the golf course, by the pool, after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. Clubby's first variety pack is out. They got some new flavors. They got a new can. If you want to find a place near you that has Clubby's, visit clubbyseltzers.com. And attention, business owners. You need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage, coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I had to go with Mike McDaniel, head coach, Miami Dolphins. Um, I love this guy. I love his quirkiness. I love how different he is. And I think he's uh, done a fantastic job there. Now, the reason I've, I've I picked him as my winner, like, we all know that Tua is having a great year, which, by the way, number one, quarterback rating in the NFL by far. He's completing 70% of his passes. He's got 19 touchdowns. He only has three interceptions. The dude has been excellent. Um, but as we know, he was he was criticized very, very heavily um, whenever he first started off. And it's been really difficult on him. And at times, he was questioning if, if he even wanted to play anymore and wanted to quit. And I just saw this story the other day when Mike McDaniels, I think it's whenever he first showed up, but at some point very early in their relationship, he made a highlight film for Tua of himself making a bunch of great plays. How much time did he spend on it? I don't know, but he made a 700-play highlight film of Tua making great throws, making great reads, doing great things at quarterback to get his confidence level back up. I thought that was just awesome. I He has become – like I think Mike McDaniel's become my favorite coach in the NFL. Me too. Like and I don't know all how the, that happened. All the sideline stuff. Did you see the clip of him? He's like, "Oh, I'm really glad Tua can't hear me because George is the best team in the SEC." Like, did you yeah. see that? He's walking right by him. Yeah, yeah. He had his mic on or something. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, Tua's got the speakers in his helmet. Yeah. He's talking right into the headset, like covering <laughs> it with his play sheet. Also, there's this clip of him. He's talking to Tua about his high school highlights and he's just like your technique was trash bro <laughs> like 
it's so like it's so weird and different, but eight and three, number one in the AFC East. Yeah. Like, I mean, whatever they're doing, whatever he's doing with Tua Tungle Vilo, there's gonna be coaches across the NFL trying to be like, okay, how can I do that? Like, how can how can I get the best out of my quarterback like he's getting? I I I just think that's him, man. Like he's just a yep. just a different dude, and it's working, man. It's really working. It seems like we've talked we talked about this pretty early in the season, but you know, not just Tua. Tua is a totally different player, uh, kind of what we expected from him, right? He looks like what he looked like in in college, but the rest of the team looks like they're having so much fun playing, right? It looks like which they're winning, that always helps. But it just looks like those guys are having fun. It looks like you can tell whenever a team likes each other, likes this coaching staff, and likes to be together, and that's what it looks like with the Dolphins. It's cool to watch. Yeah, and also, <laughs> there's this clip. I'm, I'm guessing he's trying to get to it to spike it, and he literally says clock into the headset like 50 times. He's just like, clock, 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 clock. <laughs> It's so like, I don't know, man. It's, it's so, it's so different. And I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but it's like, I I think everybody, like all these offensive players are looking at it going, man, that guy's weird, but I, I would like to play for that guy. <laughs> like, it's just, and the offense is humming. Just a quick side note on the speaker and the helmet thing. Um, Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's the worst thing ever. I, I've had to go and say, give me the call. Don't give me anything else. I don't need you to say anything else. Can you imagine uh, getting a call, communicating it, and then giving like some information about like what may happen here? And while you're doing that, later, after you've already done it, someone is like screaming at you to to do whatever you've just done like you've already completed the task and they're screaming at you to do it again as things are like as like the play's about to be snapped and it's like it's horrible man it's bad <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sure that was a fun experience having yeah. the speaker in your helmet as the mike linebacker all right who do you have as your loser of the week now i'm not necessarily going with Auburn, and I'm not necessarily going with Hugh Freeze. I'm going with the fact that Auburn announced that Hugh Freeze won't have control of his social media. Because Lane Kiffin, like, whatever he, at his press conference, Hugh Freeze talked about basically that Auburn is, you know, steps ahead of Ole Miss. And where he was whenever he was at Ole Miss. And Lane Kiffin tweeted out that I would tweet at you, but it would be worthless since you don't have access to your own social media. <laughs> Just like everyone's the first thing is that's funny. And then the next thing is, well, why doesn't he have access to his social media? And then you find out that let me give that a Google. Yeah, that um, he can't be trusted with his own social media for for multiple reasons. I thought a lot that, of that whole situation was funny, and 
not it's it was really not a good it, it didn't look good for Auburn. It it reminded me of the the Kyler Murray study time yeah. Yeah. provision in the contract where it's like you don't put that in there. You have that conversation behind closed doors. You make it very clear, but you don't put that in the contract because right. then this happens. Well, I think you probably have to put it in the contract with Hugh Freeze. Yeah, he seems like a wild card. Big and DMer. <laughs> if you're about to hire someone for $6 million plus million a year, and part of that is that they can't be trusted to handle some of these type of things on their own. Isn't that a bit of a red flag? No, no. How how could this go wrong for Auburn? <laughs> how could it ever go wrong for Auburn? You know, this is now. I will say, and I do, I do respect Auburn for for coming out and basically saying, "Hey, we hired this man because he can recruit and he can coach." Yep. There was nothing that said, like, you go back and you think about when Venables got hired and the stuff that Josie said. Incredible man of character, leader of men. Like, he's going to he's gonna set these guys up for future success in life. Like, all that stuff. None yeah. of that. None of that came from Auburn. Which, yeah. listen, man, the guy, when he was at Ole Miss, he recruited players. A lot of the stuff he got in trouble for is now legal. Right with the NIL stuff, and yeah, you just gotta gotta keep keep them away from dialing uh dialing those hotlines and yeah. keep them out of the DMs. Like that is if you can do those two things, like he's proven he can recruit, he can coach, he can win. He beat Saban a couple times, right? When yeah. basically Bama was at the height of its power. So I they it's clear they put winning over everything else. Yep. And we'll see how it works out for him. Why'd you hire Hugh Freeze? Because one way or another, he can find a way to have more points at the end of the game. Right, now, what happens between now and that moment, we don't know, but we're going to win some games. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Let's get to my winner and loser. But first. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also give back to the community. If FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations, make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. you got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate, and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. Yeah, and that's why it has won more than 25 awards. Last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcones Pot Still Bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember back in 2012, Balcones Single Malt won the best in glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. 
This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcones products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconesDistilling.com. All right, for my winner of the week, thought about going with Shea Gilgis Alexander. That was not a charge. Those aren't my words, right? At the end of that game, gets the Pelicans. Last two-minute report said it wasn't a charge, said he should have gone to the free throw line, but the reason he was almost my winner of the week, Charles Barkley said he should be a starter in the All-Star game, and that man was very serious, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that you've been saying that. You've been hammering that home for a long time that uh, he needs to be in the All-Star game and needs to be a starter, so good stuff. I... I also thought about going with Cristiano Ronaldo. Did you see this? The uh, money he was offered? Yeah. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo is close to signing a deal with a Saudi Arabian soccer club that would be worth $207.3 million per year. That's insane. I mean, what? Yes. I mean, how do you turn that down? You don't, you don't, right? You're like, hey, I guess I'm living in Saudi Arabia now. Here we go. Well, I I guess maybe you turn it down if you're already a billionaire, perhaps. But still, I I guess the no, you just don't turn it down. That's that's no. I so the thing about Cristiano Ronaldo is he has he has the most Instagram followers in the world. So he doesn't need like, that's a ton of money, but he also could be like, you know what? I'll just do some, some more promotional posts on Instagram. He's got 505 million followers on Instagram. The next most I think is messy with like 381. Like he's the most famous athlete on the planet. So does he need that Saudi Arabian money? I don't know. I don't know. Well, does he need it? Like, it depends on what you mean by need. No, he doesn't need it. But uh, you go play in Saudi Arabia for two years and make $700 million. <laughs> just unbelievable, you know? man. Yeah. Just in case you want to, you know, work two years so you can buy that aircraft carrier that you've always wanted, you know? Good point. That's a good point. <laughs> All right. But my winner of the week, Christian Pulisic, man, let's go. United States moving on to the knockout round there in the World Cup in Qatar. And now, Pulisic was under a ton of pressure, right? I I think for the most part, he's he's the only American soccer player that a lot of us can even name. So uh, there's a certain pressure that comes with that. And that man delivered because there is nothing, nothing more American than putting your nuts on the line to bring glory to your country. Is that what the abdomen uh, injury is? The pelvic contusion? That dude got hit. <laughs> and ev- everything he's got, that goalie, that uh, the, the Iranian goalie, it, it got all of it. All Ooh. of it. And the goal was incredible. I, I don't know much about soccer, like from an X's and O's perspective. However, I do know what it looks like when a guy's playing with reckless abandon. And that dude was flying full speed at that net and was willing to sacrifice his body to put the ball into the goal. Like, and I respect the hell out of that. 
Yep. That's right. You know, you, he knew that that cross was coming and he was crashing at the boards, uh, to go in and, and deliver. That was awesome. That was a good moment. I thought they got the second one, uh, a few minutes later, right there before halftime. I, I don't know if that was offsides or not. I guess it was, but, um, that was fun to watch. That was a, that was a big pressure situation for a lot of reasons. You know, win or go home always is plenty of pressure. But, you know, when you have something where it's once every four years, maybe you haven't lived up to expectations recently, and you've got, whether you care about it or not, a a big political, geopolitical rival, you know. like there, Little, little flag controversy leading into the game, right? There's a lot going on there. Arad tried to get us kicked out of the World Cup for you know posting the wrong flag, disrespecting the country. Got the W anyways. Now, Pulisic, he may have sacrificed his ability to have children in the future in the process, but the band put it on the line for the red, white, and blue. And that picture of him in the hospital, that's just flown out there on social media. That's an all-timer. Man, that is now he says he's gonna be ready for the Netherlands on Saturday. So I'm gonna choose to believe the man. Is it like a I hope it's not like a Ronnie Lott situation, is it? I did that we've seen some guys get hit in the nuts, right? I mean, you <laughs> yeah. did it when you when you're in sports as long as we've been in sports, you see some. I can't imagine getting hit in the nuts harder than that. I mean, you're running full speed. That guy's charging at you. And then the knee, like the solidness of a knee hitting you oh. in there. I mean, dude, I mean, come on. That's as bad as I feel like it could be. Uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know. Hey, he's it's once every four years. So, hey, you got to you got to do what you got to do to get there. Yeah, and very rarely, like, soccer has this reputation of, like, oh, man, come on, get up. I think everyone was watching that, like, take your time, bud. Give him a moment. Give him a moment. Take your time. Don't rush. <laughs> like, that was – it was so bad. But now you look at the Saturday schedule, U.S. Netherlands, 9 a.m. Central, Big 12 championship game at 11, SEC in the American Conference championship game at 3 Big 10 and ACC championship games at seven. Clear the schedule, folks. Going to be a long day. Going to be a day. How many alcoholic beverages will I drink? Only time will tell. (laughs) All of them. All right. For my loser of the week, thought about going with the Denver Broncos, man, because ultimate slap in the face. They have been flexed. Out of Sunday night football. So the NFL flexed Dolphins Chargers to Sunday night football. It was supposed to be Chiefs Broncos. This is essentially the National Football League saying, hey, Broncos, y'all stink. We are not going to make anyone watch you guys play. Your offense is, I mean, statistically, one of the worst offenses we've seen in like 20 years. And we're not going to make our fans watch that, which, I mean, my God, the fact that it's gotten to this point and like sometimes this happens week 14, week 15. Like, I don't know how many games have been flexed out this early in the season, but yeah, maybe that defensive tackle yelling (laughs) 
Russell Wilson's face support for getting them flexed out of play in a primetime game. Yeah, they uh, the NFL went with the nuclear option and uh, went ahead and eliminated the Broncos from from any primetime. That's brutal, and the that I I guess maybe it's to help save face for any of the teammates attacking Russell Wilson. That was that had some viciousness to it, didn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, man, figure it out. Yep. But yep. which I don't know. I wonder if it was in response to, like, you know, like a hey, good job, guys, or something as you're coming off the field. You know, it it and, was. I would say it, it seemed like a knee jerk reaction to something. Right. Woo. Russell Wilson was just like, okay, yeah, yeah. all right, all right, all right, big fella. All right, (laughs) but my loser of the week, and I absolutely love it, the Rose Bowl, because, and maybe something happens later today after we've already recorded this, but the college football playoff finally put them in their place. The CFP told them, hey, get on board or you're getting left out. And I love it because... The superiority complex of the people that run the Rose Bowl is infuriating. It's bad. To me. It's I I hate it. And the college football playoff has come out and issued an ultimatum, right? Basically said, you can agree to these terms that we are giving you so that we can expand the playoff starting in the 2024 season, or maybe you get left out of these future contracts. And I love it. I love that they are bullying the Rose Bowl. I know all the all the articles say, oh, it's not a threat. It is that's exactly what it is. And I love that yeah, it's a threat. It get on board, Rose Bowl. You're not better than everyone else. Get and, on board or get left out. And, and that's what it, it shows. Not only does it, you know, give them the ultimatum and it's a threat, it also exposes everyone to the only thing holding expansion up for 2024. And not is it just only thing holding expansion up. Like if they want to continue to act the way they are, it's going to cost everyone a ton of money. Uh, Reportedly $450 million will be left on the table. If they do not expand it in the 2024 season. And remember, this is all about the Rose Bowl wanting to maintain their specific TV window, right? They want New Year's Day at 2 p.m. local time there in California, even when they're hosting a semifinal game. Yep. And it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I'll say, no one cares about your stupid parade. No, nope. I get it. The mountains look beautiful that time of day. I'm not going to debate that. It's true. Beautiful scenery. I'm not watching the game for the mountains, Ted. Nope. I'm watching to watch two good football teams go at it. Yeah, the grass is green. It looks great. The symbol in the middle field, the paint, it's immaculate. Looks fantastic. But I'm watching the game for the teams. I don't care about the Rose Bowl committee. I don't care that it's in California. You can play that game. I want to watch the two good football teams play. That's why I am watching the game. And I get history, tradition. Like, I get it. 
But times have changed, man, and you got to change with it. I'm sorry. Deal with it, Rose Bowl. Yep. Now, everyone needs to understand this. They have they have until today to agree to the terms so we can expand by 2024. If they do not agree to the terms, we cannot expand to a 12-team playoff until 2026. It is an all-or-nothing deal. It has to be unanimous between everyone. So if they don't agree, that doesn't mean that we just ax them out, keep them out of future contracts, and, and go ahead with the plan without the Rose Bowl. That is not the deal. If they don't agree, you are forced to stay with the four-team playoff until the 2026 season. That's the other part of it that sucks. Yeah. I'll just say this. They don't get on board. I'm sure old Stan Kroenke and his wife would be happy to create the Walmart Bowl and host it there at SoFi in LA in the Rose Bowl's place. Or Allegiant Stadium in Vegas would be happy to host and be in that rotation. They better be careful, man. They're their own worst enemy. I'm telling you. If if they don't agree to it, and they're the reason why everyone has to stay with the 14 playoff and lose $450 million, I think hosting that game may be the least of their concerns. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Some people may find you, man. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, episode 271 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday. Just a reminder. You can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. You always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. Just one more time